Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer podcast, recorded live from the University of Vermont's Continuing and Distance Education Department with your host, Greg Dunkley. Whether you're looking to break into the craft beer industry or start your own brewery, this podcast is for you. Each week we will discuss all aspects of the craft beer industry from sales, operations, marketing, trends, and analysis with industry experts and thought leaders. If you'd like to be part of the show, please call 929-477-1757. And now here's your host, Greg Dunkel. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, This is Greg Dunkling. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer blog talk radio show, and we're coming live from the campus of the University of Vermont in Burlington, Vermont. We've all heard of co-ops, and many of us uh, have at least one in our community. Uh, Today's podcast examines how the co-op model is being applied to craft beer. Uh, I'm delighted to have two guests with experience in running beer co-ops, Sean Becker, board president of Flying Bike Co-op from Seattle, Washington, and Andy Martinek, a brewer at Black Star Co-op Pub and Brewery based in Austin, Texas. Starting a a brewery is, of course, a capital-intensive business, even for the smallest commercially viable model. Uh, Cooperative models offer a creative solution, and although certainly not the right solution for everyone, This has proven to be a viable business model for some communities. Uh, In today's podcast, we'll explore how brewery cooperatives are formed, the management structure of these enterprises. A co-op refers to an organization that is owned by its members rather than outside shareholders. Is this an option for your community? Would this be a financial model that would help you fulfill your dream of opening a brewery? What are the limitations and challenges? Uh, So let's discuss these and other questions. Uh, welcome, Sean and Andy. Morning, Greg. Thank you. Morning. So let's start uh, with you, Andy. Um, Black Star Co-op Pub and Brewery um, has the special distinction of being the world's first cooperatively owned brew pub. Tell us uh, your story and when did you get started and why? Awesome. Um, yeah, so I was uh, not around when Black Star was initially um created, but it was created in uh, 2006. A, a group of folks got together in a Austin backyard and uh, over beers kind of talked about creating this, this local uh, community focused uh, bar that eventually transformed into a, a brew pub that it's not only brewed their own beer, but served awesome locally sourced pub fare. And uh, it just kind of uh, snowballed from there into opening their doors in uh, 2010 and here we still are. <laughs> uh, so I understand that you have uh, a members assembly and, and a board of directors. Uh, could you describe their roles? Sure. Uh, so we are a uh, kind of a, a unique cooperative model. We are, we are a consumer co-op, um, but we have uh, member owners. So the, the members assembly consists of, of member owners who have purchased a share of the cooperative. We currently have about 3,500 uh, member owners. And their role is to, you know, they have one vote for the board of directors. Uh, and then they also are, you know, they, they come into the pub, they eat, they drink, and they are invited to special events and things of that nature. And so their vote for the board of directors uh, essentially will elect one of our uh, nine board of directors that kind of oversees us as a business and, and kind of 
governs us, make sure that we stick to our end policies and, and all the values that we set out to, to uphold when we started this company. Uh-huh. Well, let's bring in Sean from uh, Flying Bike Co-op in Seattle, Washington. Uh, when did you start and who drove the creation of Flying Bike? Uh, tell us, uh, I'm, I'm particularly interested in about the Thirsty 300. <laughs> yeah, so Flying Bike started in 2010. There was a guy by the name of Jeff Hicks, our original founder, who reached out to the community saying, hey, I've got this idea. I want to start this co-op brewery. And this is right, you know, in when things are getting uh, kind of heating up in Seattle with the beer scene. Uh, so a bunch of people got together. We sat down. He walked through, kind of explained what a co-op brewery was. Um and invited those folks to stick around and, and kind of help him build this this thing. Uh, and so a group of us started meeting every Saturday, and we, we formed what we call a steering our steering committee, uh, and slowly just kind of moved the 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 idea forward. Uh, mm-hmm. When we incorporated in 2011 and opened up our membership, uh, we wanted to. You know, we, we really had no idea what kind of reception we were going to get from the community. And so we started this idea of the Thirsty 300. Uh, we, you know, put it out there and said, hey, our first goal, our initial goal is to get to 300 members. Um, and those 300 members would, would kind of uh, have a special place uh, in the history of Flying Bike as, as those original people who jumped on this idea, you know, with, with little more than, than just sort of this dream, right? And so uh, we had no idea what kind of reception, and within about a week and a half, two weeks, we had hit that 300 mark. It just it went like mm. gangbusters. People were really excited about it. Wow. How many members do you have out today? Uh, we currently have, I believe it's 1,773 members. Oh. Okay. Um, so I, I wanted to explore with you what a cooperative brewery uh, looks like in terms of uh, membership and and what does uh, membership in a in a brewery co-op brewery get you uh, either one of you sure um, well specifically the black star um, becoming a, a member owner is it's a one-time uh, payment of $150 uh, for one share of the cooperative it gets you a like I mentioned earlier a vote for the board of directors um, you get a member owner discount every, once a week. It's on Tuesdays. It's our pint night. It um, reduces house beer prices significantly, and you also get invited to you know special events, and you receive the newsletter that keeps you kind of abreast of all the new information in the co-op. Okay. Yeah, and for Flying Bike, you know, very similar. Uh, we have mm-hmm. our annual meeting where our members uh, vote in, our board of directors. Uh, we turn over three uh, board positions each year. They also board, uh, vote on, uh, you know, larger issues that the board brings to them for, for decision-making around the, the brewery. Um, what makes Flying Bike a little bit different than a lot of the co-ops is, is we, uh, we ask our members to be uh, a little bit more involved in terms of the beers that actually get produced. We have uh, frequent member homebrew competitions where we ask our members to, to brew uh, beer to a particular style or within certain ramifications, whether it's ingredients or yeast or whatever. Uh, and then we have other members that come in that will actually judge that beer, and then the winning beer uh, goes on to be brewed and, and served in the tasting room. 
And so okay. uh, not all of our beers are member beers, but uh, there's sort of that program sort of aspect where members uh, are kind of involved in that aspect. Yeah, so that, I'm, I'm curious uh, if the two of you, you have full-time uh, brewing staff, production staff, uh, and, or, or are they? is it a combination of uh, staff plus members? Uh, uh, performed first, by for, our oh, – go ahead. Sorry, go on, Andy. No, you're good. Go ahead, man. <laughs> All right. So for Flying Bike, we have a full-time uh, head brewer and a uh, part-time assistant brewer. Uh, due to legal reasons, it's it's very difficult to, to have members actually uh, acting as, as our brewing staff. Uh, mm-hmm. We do try to bring them in uh, to be involved in, in a brew day if, if they win our competitions. Um, or, you know, recently we did uh, the Pink Boots Big Brew Day, uh, where we brought in um, some of our members to, to be involved. But in terms of sort of ongoing brewing staff, uh, for the most part, it's it's full time. Okay. Yeah, and it's very similar to that uh, here at Black Star. We, uh, like Sean mentioned, it's uh, it can be kind of a, a legal gray area and and kind of a liability to have people that aren't. Uh, employed by you in the brewery, but yeah, it's nice to have uh, member owners in if they do win like a homebrew competition to kind of see the the brewing process. Uh, so, Andy, first, um, do you do you use tasting panels uh, where members and brewers have input into creating beers that uh, that the members want, or how do you go about sort of deciding uh, how how what to produce and the style of beers to produce, uh, et cetera? Uh, fortunately for for me and my coworker, uh, we have all, almost 100% creative freedom to to brew what we uh, we feel is is acceptable here at Black Star. We have done in, in the past member owner uh, homebrew competitions. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, in the state of Texas, it is is actually illegal to transport uh, homebrew in a personal vehicle and actually to possess it at a manufacturing facility. So it's kind of one of those gray areas where it's, it's a, uh, it can get a little tricky, but we do occasionally have member owners in to do a, uh, you know, kind of a, like you mentioned, a tasting panel to, to pick some ingredients and, and go over. We have two member owner design beers. Um, one actually won a, a bronze medal at JABF in 2013. Mm-hmm. So that was kudos to the member owners for picking some good ingredients. Mm-hmm. How about you, Sean? Uh, so for us, um, our, our brewer uh, has, for the most part, uh, control over over what ends up coming out of our taps. I mean, we, we kind of put that responsibility on him and um, give him the, the leeway to make the right decisions for the beer. Um, but we do... Uh, we do bring our, our members in to sort of be involved in that process. Another piece that we do is we have a monthly brewer's table where we invite members to come in, sit down with our brewer, and really he just kind of talks about what's going on, you know, what what beers are coming up, what things are in the fermenters. Um, sometimes they get some uh, sneak peeks, sort of special tastes, and then kind of gets that feedback from them. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, you, you mentioned before um, the membership fee uh, to become a member. Uh, what, what it sounds to like is that you're not generating a lot of startup capital through those membership fees. So let's talk a little bit about how co-ops are typically funded. Um, are, there, are there models for financing a cooperative brewery that are used fairly consistently across all co-ops? Uh, are there limitations or challenges that you've experienced and 
financing the launch and operation of your co-op. Andy? Um, so when we uh, started getting financing for Blackstar, we you know raised capital through member investments. Uh, so if you were a member of the cooperative, you had, to, you had purchased a share of the cooperative, you were then able to buy uh, member investment shares, which would, uh, you know, you could buy any number, but you still only had one vote for the board of directors. Therefore, you, the power wasn't skewed to uh, any one member owner. Uh, so it was still democratically um, run that way. But we did secure a, uh, a significant portion of our uh startup capital from uh, member investment shares. Okay. Yeah, and for Flying Bike, it's, it's basically the same. You know, with with a co-op brewery, you know, bank loans, banks are looking for a personal guarantor or a group of uh, personal guarantors. And as a, uh, a democratically run organization with a, a nine-person board of directors, it's very difficult for, you know, any one or couple of people to sort of put their names on the line uh, when they're not fully in control of, <laughs> of what's going on. And so for us, we did the same thing. As a, as a member, uh, we gave our members the, the opportunity to purchase preferred shares, and that's how we, we raised 100% uh, of our capital. And you're absolutely right. The, the membership dues, the, the lifetime dues that, that folks pay, uh, you know, when you're starting up as a cooperative, really that just keeps you going until you're able to uh, get enough interest, enough members to really kick off that investment campaign. It's really not going to ever be enough to, uh, to be able to, to help you open. Right, yeah. So the the um, you know, you know we've seen it in our community, uh, a couple of neighboring communities, uh, co-op food co-ops that have gone through uh, tremendous growth. Uh, they've decided to expand either on their current site or to add additional sites. Um, have have uh, you or do you know of other cooperative breweries that have sort of gone through that that expansion phase and? How do they go about, you know, making a decision? I guess more than financing. Just how, how do you how do you make a decision whether to go forward with an expansion um, or to remain relatively small? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, we at, at Blackstar have had talks about expansion since you know the second year of being open, um, and that was initially the the talks started and things started moving uh, relatively quickly. Uh, we, you know, polled our member and member owners to see, hey, what are y'all interested in seeing from, from Blackstar? And, and, you know, kind of unanimously, everybody was like, well, we want to see a location that is more, you know, clo close to where we live. So like South Austin or, or East Austin. So talks started um, early on, but the trigger never really got pulled. So it, it kind of, it, it moves a little bit slower in a, in a co-op since there are so many so many uh, voices, for lack of a better term. It, it's, there's a lot of input, which is great, but uh, it, it doesn't allow that that uh, pulling of the trigger, so to speak, to happen as quickly as it would in another another business. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's just kind of trying to see what best suits your member owners' needs. And, mm -hmm. and we, you know, are still rel relatively small brew pub. You know, we we produce less than 700 barrels of beer a year. Um, so, so we haven't, we haven't grown tremendously. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Sean? Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, it's, 
it's similar to any brewery that would be in sort of the same position, uh, plus that that factor of of having all of those voices, as Andy mentioned. Uh, so, you know, speed of of making sort of uh, leaps or or risks, <laughs> it's definitely a bit slower because you've you've got a lot more people to answer to, and as a board, uh, kind of arriving at that that choice. But I think that. Uh, you know, for for new businesses, early businesses, breweries, whatever you are, you know, picking those right times to to sort of invest and and uh, expand, you know, that's that's hard no matter what business you're in. And I think as a co-op brewery, uh, we need to try to find those opportunities and jump on them when we can. But as we talked about before, you know, the financing the financing model is a little bit different and it's a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, it's it's easier once you have uh, some equipment to put on the line, but that only goes so far. So if you're talking about, you know, doing a full, uh, you know, another location, we're talking, um, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not more, uh, in, in capital to be able to make that happen. Um, but at the same time, we've we've had uh, a lot of our members come to us and, and ask us if we've if we've thought about doing these things. And, you know, they've expressed willingness to to sort of double down and increase their their investment in the co-op and so it's definitely something that we'll be continuing to explore um, you know for us we need to get to a point where uh, we're just in a sort of solid found uh, place in, a, in our current location um, but you know as Andy mentioned I, I think we're kind of in the same boat we've definitely been We've talked about it. We have uh, dreams of having more locations. Our members would love to to have more access to, uh, you know, their brewery's beer closer to where they live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Both are uh, and I think that seems to be the 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 standard way that cooperative breweries operate. Uh, is that true? I'm sorry. Yeah, you kind of broke up there. I didn't hear that. The first part of the question. Yeah, are, are cooperative breweries typically uh, brew pubs, uh, restaurants, uh, food plus beer, uh, as opposed to uh, microbreweries? I think the the yeah. I guess the the most recent wave of of cooperative breweries, uh, I would say, for the most part, are brew pubs. I'm actually. Uh-huh. I, I always say I think I know all the names of the the co-op breweries, but it seems like a new one opens up every couple months. But I, I think that's the case. Sean, do you have any better perspective on that? It seems to be a, a definitely a mix. Um, so we are we're um, we're sort of a pseudo brew pub in that we don't actually have our own kitchen, but we've partnered with uh, local uh, restaurants to bring in food. We actually have a, a direct partnership with a place next door that we're folks can order from us and they'll bring the food over. Um, and then there's, uh, I visited Fair State Brewing in Minneapolis. Um, they don't have food uh, last I checked. So I, I think that there's, there is definitely a mix. But, you know, for me personally, I think that food is a really important part of uh, the beer drinking experience. I think that, you know, if someone's going to uh, hang out for a while, food needs to be uh, a, a component to that. It's very difficult for someone to stick around and, you know, have more than two pints or so unless it's, uh, you know, <laughs> late at night or, or something. But in any sure. case, I think that it's sort of part of that experience. So, Yeah, okay. Let me just take a moment um, to uh, for our sponsor. Uh, if, if you've dreamed about opening your own brewery or are looking for 
a career change into craft beer. Our online certificate program at the University of Vermont offers industry-specific knowledge to make this possible. Your instructors are craft beer experts from across the United States and Canada. The University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer program was developed for those who specifically want to learn about the business side of this exciting industry. Uh, for further details, uh, you can uh, check our Facebook page at the UVM Business of Craft Beer. Um, this podcast is also, if you're listening, uh, it's on our website, on our Facebook page, and also on LinkedIn. Um, there's, uh, I want to get back to uh, sort of the, the question of, of today's market and how it impacts co-op, cooperative breweries. Uh, there's, there's much discussion today about the importance of local markets for craft breweries in general. Um, if you can gain a strong local following, then a brewery can, can not only survive in this competitive environment, but also thrive. A, a cooperative brewery uh, certainly seems to speak to the importance of a local market. Uh, how do you see this playing out in your communities? And can co-op uh, breweries compete in competitive markets? Sean? Uh, I, th I think yes, <laughs> they definitely can compete. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit different um, to some extent. You know, if you see a beer on the shelf next to you know five million other beers, um, you know, someone's going to look at that and go, "Oh, that's a co-op beer." You know, unless they have prior knowledge of of that particular brewery, that's that's going to be a bit difficult. Um, but you know, when it comes to local markets, co-ops are all about community and bringing people together, you know, and that's, that's something that we're constantly trying to figure out how to foster in our, in our tasting room. Uh, and we definitely have a lot of folks that are hyper-local. We have customers, we have several regulars that live across the street. We have people who walk there, ride their bikes, you know, um, and just based on that alone, you know, it's, it's obvious that, that our, our core market is, is very much local. You could think of it as a bullseye. Um, where we're at the center and, and uh, you know, the farther you get out, the, the fewer of our sort of regular customers are. Um, but, you know, in, especially in our market in Seattle where you've got lots and lots of breweries close by. I mean, we're located right next door to another brewery. Um, we are within uh, 20 blocks of, of two uh, other breweries. Um, you know, people like to go to the brewery. They like to see where it comes from. They like to, you know, uh, if they can, catch a glimpse of the brewer or talk to the brewer. Um, you know, and so I, I think that's something that as we kind of see where the, the industry is going, where the market's going, you know, in terms of Seattle, uh, we've got a lot of breweries. And so competing is uh, somewhat difficult, you know, trying to sort of rise above that uh, so that people actually notice you, they know about you, they, they seek out your beer, whether it's on tap somewhere else or they come into the, the brew pub, or not brew pub, but the uh, tasting room in our case. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, it's no different with a co-op than anything else. We have a bit more of a, a story to tell, and sometimes that makes it easier to, to pull people in. Sometimes it, it makes it more difficult because, you, you know, you kind of have to make that story succinct and compelling so that someone actually wants to to, to hear more, or they want to actually uh, pull their wallet out or, or drive to, to the tasting room. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's definitely a question that we continue to, to work with and talk about, you know, every day, really. 
<clears throat> yeah, yeah, and to and, kind of piggyback on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, a very real uh, real scenario uh, that we actually just went through is, is so uh, – like Sean was mentioning, it is extremely competitive, especially, you know, in Seattle and Austin as well. They're, you know, getting close to 50 breweries here in Austin and uh, it's quite a few. So competition is definitely up. And uh, at the beginning of this year, we saw a um, kind of a, a, a huge dip in sales. And so we were in this like financial um, kind of shaky area for, for Blackstar. And so we, uh, on the one hand, it's, you know, competition is, is obvious and it affects all of us um, and Blackstar almost even more so because of our model. We, we pay our workers a, a fair living wage. We provide dental, health care, um, paid time off, uh, uh, you know, discounts to, to our employees. So, so we, we compensate people very, very uh, competitively. And so when we take a hit in sales, not like another restaurant where you pay somebody two thirteen an hour and you can, you know, kind of trim your staff and, and go down to bare bones it's a little bit harder for us. Uh, on the other hand, though, as a cooperative brew pub, we uh, send a letter out to our member owners uh, kind of, you know, asking for their help saying, Hey, we're in this weird uh, financial position. Uh, you know, we could use some help right now. Please come out and support your brew pub. And it was just, we had the most amazing reception from our member owners and it actually ended up getting uh, leaked online and and the entire community of Austin kind of came out and supported us, but we had the opportunity to reach out to our, you know, 3,500 plus member owners and say, Hey, we're struggling. We're in a, we're in a hard time right now. Could you please come out and, you know, support your local brew pub? And it just, you know, it, it got the message immediately to the people who are genuinely invested in this business. So I think we, we have an advantage in that respect that we can draw from this big pool of people who at one point in their life said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, support this, this brew pub this will be my brew pub and uh and i think that's definitely an advantage that we have yeah in, in a podcast a few weeks ago we we discussed the the growing importance of tap rooms at, at most breweries uh in many communities these breweries offer the feel of a of a british pub or a neighborhood community center even a place mm -hmm. uh, where where friends meet uh and that seems to describe uh, precisely what you folks are doing with uh cooperative breweries right yeah tap rooms are are definitely uh, a huge part of uh part of our business i mean 99 percent of the beer that we make gets sold through our taps uh that was the model that we set out to to make luckily in 2013 texas had some pretty big law changes that allowed us to to distribute beer as a brew pub which we weren't able to do in the past um but realistically we want to sell all of our beer through our taps because one it's it's higher margin but two it's you know you experience the the beer at the place where it was created it's as fresh as possible you get the the knowledge from the servers and the ambiance of the brew pub itself so i think that's definitely a, a very important thing for breweries to do in addition to to local uh with so many mergers and acquisitions in uh, uh craft uh the issue of remaining independent has taken on a, a meaning perhaps like never before. Uh, Co-ops are by definition independent. Um, do you see the number of cooperative breweries growing in the future? And do you see a link uh, to this larger industry trend towards consolidation, perhaps uh, as a counter trend? Uh, I, I'll 
take that one, uh, early start. Definitely been seeing uh, more co-op breweries opening. I mean, there's 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 certainly a trend there uh, where I think people are, are, you know, number one, just recognizing and, and finding the fact that the co-ops exist and that's a it's a viable business model. Um, and then number two, just, you know, like I think a lot of co-ops start, you've got some folks who are thinking, man, I would love to to own a brewery, be involved in it, but but I just, I can't do it alone, whether it's financial or, you know, they don't have the skills or, uh, you know, they just they just want to build build a community and, and do it together. Um, you know, in terms of, I mean, you're right, co-ops are, are uh, uh, independent. I don't think they're going to be sold to Anheuser-Busch. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, does that does that buck the trend? Um, you know, I, I think it's it's not a lot. It's not terribly different from other small breweries in in our community. Um, you know, I, I know breweries that would. Um, well, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting question. It's a it's a really big question, actually. The more I think about it. Um, yeah, but it's interesting how, how I mean, today it's almost uh, a challenge to know if the brand you bought uh, last month is independent or owned by another larger uh, brewery through acquisition. Um, and it just, mm-hmm. you know, in conversations I have with people who are, you know, avid craft uh, consumers, they, they're they getting a little confused as to who owns whom and and uh, you don't have that question when it's your local brewery and you know the people who are producing it and it's your it's your favorite watering hole. You know, you, there's no question about that. And so I just wonder long term if well, if the mergers continue, um, whether uh, people who are really devoted to local independent craft breweries aren't going to migrate even a little more back home to, to their, to their local uh, trusted uh, producer of, of good beer. Yeah, I think that that is a, it's, it's a really good point. And as Sean mentioned earlier, cooperatives by nature are very community uh, oriented. And so I would love to see that kind of, you know, going back to the days where you know every every town has a has a brewery every town has a a bread shop every every town has a has a a butcher and and you go and you you patronize those places and and you support the the you know the the brewery that's 30 feet away as opposed to buying a beer that's produced 10 states away so i i think that that's definitely a trend that that we've seen uh it's not necessarily taking a hold as much currently, but I think that, you know, Austin's a very local uh, supporting town anyways, but I think, yeah, it'll probably be hyper-local su- uh, supportive, if that makes sense, uh, as as these acquisitions become more and more frequent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, when it comes to tap rooms, um, you know, folks supporting their, their local tap rooms, I, I think that that does happen a lot in, in cities like Seattle and Austin and um, other places around. Uh, I think the, the sort of the next question there, from in my head or at least where I go, is is sort of that that packaged product. You go and you kind of ask yourself that question. I'm standing there in, in my local beer shop or my local grocery store, and I'm looking at you know a hundred different beer options, and I'm thinking, you know, who owns these guys? You know, by doing this, who am I supporting? Um, 
you know, does it does that mean that co-op breweries, um, you know, when they package, if they package, do they, you know, is that how they kind of differentiate themselves and say, hey, we're co-op, you know, always independent? Um, you know, does that should co-op breweries uh, strive to do, you know, to do packaging where they wouldn't necessarily, um, uh, you know, that wouldn't necessarily fall into the, the, the original plan? You know, we've talked about packaging, whether, we're, you know, we're going to end up in, in the local uh, grocery store anytime soon, I don't know. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely it's, a differentiator. Uh, I had a friend uh, long ago ask me the question, uh, and I won't name the brewery, but uh, a large national craft brand and asked the question is, are they craft? You know, they're, they're so big. Uh, are they really craft beer? And it certainly sparked a, a debate as to what that, what that definition means. And we carried on that discussion with a, uh, a, um, a well-known uh, uh, person in the industry in, in Washington, D.C. at one of the breweries. And uh, we just, you know, had a long conversation about what it all means. You know, Rate Beer's uh, Joseph Tucker um, was quoted as saying, it's possible for craft breweries to stop having that small town feel and become too large for their own good, especially becoming big beer themselves. Um, so it, it, it's not, it's not only about mergers and acquisitions. It can be about uh, breweries that uh, possibly are just growing, uh, become national brands. And at what point do they cross the threshold and, and, you know, setting aside the definition of craft, uh, they, they sort of lose that small town feel, which you guys are, are, are really represent. Yeah. That's yeah I think ex- Sorry. On, oh, that, thanks. Uh, that, that's an extremely complicated issue. I, in my opinion, I get, you know, I get sucked into these debates and conversations uh, that, that last hours, and it's <laughs> it's it, it's very it can be very subjective. Um, yep. You know, it's what what like you said, what defines a craft brewery? Well, there's a legal definition of it, uh, you know, as far as production is concerned. But you, like you said, if somebody gets bigger than what they uh, what somebody views them as a, a craft brewery, then then yeah, who's to say? Um, you know, you always go back to the large brewers that use adjuncts in their beers and, and are, are using, uh, you know, sugar substitutes basically to, to lower the, the, the price of the beer, but also lower the, the flavor and, uh, and, um, sweetness of the, the final product. But is, is that what makes them not craft beer? I mean, we just brewed an adjunct, uh, cream ale, which we used rice in because it's a, you know, it's a fun ingredient, and the 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 the, the final beer was you know supposed to be super dry and and pretty close to water and extremely drinkable. Um, so is that is that not craft? Uh, it's it's a, yeah, it's a real tough question because you can uh, yeah. you, you can have your own views on on what it is, and it could be a thousand barrels a year, it could be ten thousand barrels a year, or it could be you know do you focus fifty percent of your budget to marketing? <laughs> Yeah, well, full disclosure. My argument was that it's a it's a state of mind. It's um, are, are are you are you committed to experimentation and creativity in the brewing? Uh, and it doesn't matter really how how large you are. Um, but you know, one could argue the other side of that easily too. <laughs> right. 
Um, we have a caller. Caller, I'd like to bring them in uh, and see if they have a question. One second. Sure. Uh, go ahead. Uh, where are you from, and what's your name? Hello. I guess. I guess they don't have a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I. I um, you know, I'd, I'd like to just give you a moment. Are there any additional things that you would like to address that we have not covered today about the cooperative breweries? Andy? Um, I think it's, I think it's important to note that, you know, we are businesses like any other business. It's just um, what kind of makes us unique is that one we're owned by many, many people as opposed to, uh, just a handful, uh, which legally speaking can be more of a, <laughs> a headache than, than we want. Uh, trying to get the government to understand what a cooperative is is, is always fun. But uh, I think that the big takeaway from seeing a, a cooperative brewery or any business for that matter is, is the values that that business holds. You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what does that, that business uh, truly value? And, and for us, it's, you know, it's worker treatment. It's making sure that we uh, provide a, a really awesome um, workplace for for people that work here that allows anybody to become more uh, educated and and a better a better worker and has as many opportunities as they can and also have for uh, community involvement and uh, and locally sourced awesome food and beer. I think that's you know kind of our mission at Blackstar and and I think take a look at any of the values of any of the cooperatives around you and just kind of say, Hey, is that, is that something that I support too? And if it is, you know, go support your cooperative brewery. Yeah. Great. Uh, Sean, I'll give you the last word. <laughs> well, I, I think that if I wanted to, anyone to sort of take, take things away from, uh, from this conversation or any conversation about cooperatives is that, you know, cooperative breweries is a, is a, it's a newer business model. It's something that can work. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it's, especially in, uh, you know, when it comes to communities that have, you know, like ours, where we have hops from Yakima, we have uh, malts from Skagit Valley, um, you know, we can really uh, be hyper-local in terms of folks who, who are being a part of the brewery, buying our beer, coming to our tasting room, but we can also be uh, involved in, in that same community when it comes to sourcing our ingredients. You know, there's, um, you know, the original cooperatives really came out of farming and produce and and uh, and such. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, cooperatives that uh, sort of happen on the on the um, raw ingredient side that you know. Uh, I think is a really great opportunity for for not only co-op breweries but all breweries to to sort of take advantage of, but especially for co-op breweries being able to, um, you know, cooperate and and collaborate with with other businesses in the area that that uh, uh, you know are focused on making the right decisions for for not only the bottom line but but for their local community and, and environment. <clears throat> Well, great. Um, I really want to uh, thank Sean and, and Andy for joining us uh, this afternoon. Unfortunately, we're out of time. And uh, again, Sean Becker, board president of Flying Bike Co-op from Seattle, Washington, and Andy Martinick from uh, Brewer at Black Star Co-op and, and Brewery um, 
in Austin, Texas. Uh, great conversation today. Um, I wanted to just mention that we will have an upcoming uh, uh, podcast uh, looking at the ESOP employer-owned brewery mo model. Um, a number of breweries are going in that direction. Harpoon, obviously, uh, a few years ago, recently switched back brewery here in, in Vermont, announced their, their uh, plans to uh, switch to uh, an employee-owned model. Um, so we look forward to having uh, that conversation as well as just another alternative model for uh, for managing and financing and running breweries. Um, and but until then, uh, wish everyone to have a great afternoon. And don't forget, please visit your local breweries again. Uh, Andy and Sean, thanks for joining us today. Thank thanks, you, Greg. Take care. Bye bye.